This podcast provides audio versions of live webinars. Please see the episode description for a link to the full presentation. Thank you for downloading the webinars podcast from Bitesize Bio, the missing manual for bioscientists. The full version of this webinar can be viewed by navigating to bitesizebio.com slash webinars and clicking on the name of the sponsor, which can be found in the list on the right-hand side of the page. Hello, this is Amanda Welch welcoming you to this Bite Size Bio web seminar, which today is sponsored by Leica Microsystems. Leica Microsystems develops and manufactures microscopes and scientific instruments for analysis of microstructures and nanostructures. Widely recognized for optical precision and innovative technology, the company is one of the market leaders in compound and stereo microscopy, digital microscopy, confocal laser scanning, and super-resolution microscopy with related imaging systems, electron microscopy sample preparation, and surgical microscopy. Today's presentation is titled, Super-Resolved Status Spectroscopy, New Insights into Molecular Membrane Dynamics, and is being presented by Dr. Christian Bling from the Institute of Applied Optics in, at Frederick Schiller University in Jena. Christian holds a PhD in physics from the University of Göttingen, Göttingen, Germany, where he optimized single molecule fluorescence detection. From 2000 to 2003, he was a research scientist at the biotech company Evotech in Hamburg, Germany, and developed advanced fluorescence microscopy techniques for high throughput drug screening. In 2003, he joined the Max Planck Institute for Biophysical Chemistry in Germany as a senior scientist in the Department of Professor Stefan Hell, who won the Nobel Prize or won the Nobel Prize in Chemistry in 2014. Here, he focused on the field of optical super-resolution microscopy, specifically the biological applicability of stimulated emission depletion, or STED, microscopy. Since 2012, Christian has been a principal investigator in the Human Immunology Unit and the scientific director of the newly established Wolfson Imaging Center in Oxford at the Wetherall Institute of Molecular Medicine, the University of Oxford in the United Kingdom. And in 2014, he was appointed to Professor of Molecular Immunology. In addition, from December 2017 on, he started as the Professor of Super-Resolution Microscopy in the Institute of Applied Optics of the Frederick Schiller University and the Lebens Institute of Photonic Technologies in Jena, Germany. Christian's research is focused on the development of advanced microscopy for the investigation of molecular organization and dynamics in cells, especially on the cellular plasma membrane. As always, we will have a question and answer session after the presentation. So please type any questions that you have into the questions box, which appears on the right hand side of your screen, and I'll put them to Christian at the end. The recording of the webinar will be available at bit.ly stead webinar, that's bit.ly slash stead webinar, all one word, lowercase. So now over to you, Christian, for the presentation. Thank you for, your, for the introduction. I will talk about new insights into molecular membrane dynamics using STED-FCS. Now, fluorescence microscopy has been very successful in the life sciences, and everybody has seen these fantastic movies or images on the web. We can do live cell in vivo endogenous um, screening of proteins, molecular specificity, and we have a specific sensitivity down to the single molecule. Now in Oxford, we have used, uh, opened up this imaging center, the Wolfson Imaging Center, and people approach us with a lot of biomedical questions, which of course have multiple demands. Some of them need high temporal resolution, spatial resolution, 
3D imaging, deep imaging, long acquisition time, some need, some need high data analysis, and of course, a lot need everything of all. Now, what I want to talk about today are the demands for high temporal and spatial resolution. Now, the, the topic I will talk about is the organization and dynamics of molecules in the plasma membrane, especially of lipids. Because molecules in the plasma membrane are involved in cellular signaling and their interactions triggers um, um, these signaling events, especially between proteins and proteins, but also between proteins and lipids. And the heterogeneity in their molecular organization and dynamics tells us something about it. But in order to investigate this, this demands observation techniques of high spatial and temporal resolution. We also need large statistics because we need to know the average behavior and maybe heterogeneities. And of course, we need high specificity for example, which demands labeling. Now, we are especially interested in, lab in, in lipids. And we started with these lipids long, long times ago. So for doing fluorescence recordings on lipids, we need to label the lipids. So we had fantastic organic chemists, and we took a phospholipid and a sphingolipid, sphingomyelin and phosphoglycerolipid, and we labeled them with a dye A2647N, like shown here. And so we had two fluorescent lipid analogs, a phosphoetatonamine, I will call it PE, and the sphingomyelin SM. Now, we can bring these fluorescent lipid analogs very efficiently into the outer leaflet of the plasma membrane of living cells via BSA complex. We did a lot of controls there, very nicely sitting in there in the outer leaflet. And then we can come in with our microscopes and we can image their distributions. And if we do this, for example, here shown for Jokert T cells for PE and SM, what you see is the bright spots, these are internalized vesicles. What you have to look at are these areas around the bright spots, and they look very similar between PE and SM, and most importantly, they look very homogeneous. Now, we also have the super-resolution microscopes. I will come into detail of them later, but we just have improved spatial resolution, and also there, this is, for example, on PTK2 cells, we see very homogeneous distribution. Now, from literature, we expected much more heterogeneity in their distribution, but the problem is, of course, these lipids, this is living cells, these lipids diffuse very quickly and probably they're interacting, but they are also free at the same point. So we have two pools. Some are interacting, maybe sitting in clusters. Some are freely distributed. So we don't have contrast because if we have, would have every, every of these lipids sitting in some clusters, we would see bright spots like for the internalized vesicles. But the real case is probably something like some sit in, in clusters and some float freely around, around them, so we don't have any contrast. So imaging is not the right tool in this moment. So what can we do? Well, we can look at the dynamics, at the diffusion dynamics, because diffusion tells us something about interaction as well. Now, we can just park our, the spot of our microscope somewhere on the plasma membrane, and then wait for the fluids and lipid analogs to diffuse through there. If we lower the concentration of these fluids and lipid analogs very much, we see the signal like shown here count rate over time. So most of the time we just see background noise, but from time to time these fluids and lipid analogs diffuse through there and we see these bursts. Now, to extract molecular mobility information, we just need to determine the average transit time of the labeled molecules through the observation area. And there's a nice tool around for doing this called Fluorescence Correlation Spectroscopy, FCS. Now what you do here is you just calculate the temporal correlation function of this fluctuation, temporal fluctuations in the signal and you end up with a decaying curve where the decay time of this curve 
is uh, the characteristic time of the process causing the fluctuations. In our case, it's diffusing in and out of the observation spot. So, it's the average transit time. Out of that, we can calculate molecular diffusion coefficients and molecular mobility. Now, as I will show, this has high temporal resolution, high molecular statistics, and high spatial resolution. Now, if we do this with the confocal microscope, observation spot size roughly 200 to 250 nanometers. And these are the correlation curves for PE in red and SM in gray. What you see, there's a tiny little difference, but only very, very tiny. Now, what is the small, the reason for this small difference between these two? From our confocal recordings, we cannot tell any difference because the confocal spot is, is too large to really, uh, for example, distinguish between just slowed down diffusion or maybe heterogeneities on the nanoscale. So we need higher spatial resolution. Now, our confocal microscope is built up. We have an excitation source, a laser, which is focused to a tiny little spot, roughly 200 nanometers in size. We excite the molecules there from the ground as zero state to the excited as one state. And then they de-excite down the ground state again, emitting fluorescence, which is then detected on our detector. Now, how can we improve the resolution there? So reduce the spot size. Well, we can add a second laser. And this second laser is redshifted. It's in the red range of the emission spectrum of the dyes, dye labels used in our sample. And when this laser hits on the excited dye or excited fluorescent label, it forces it down to the ground state, thereby stimulating emission, which we don't detect. We only detect the spontaneous fluorescence. And the, the problem now is by putting in this laser, the spontaneous fluorescence is inhibited or depleted or quenched. And this is shown here. This is the spontaneous fluorescence that we detect with increasing intensity of our STET laser. And you nicely see that by increasing the intensity of the STET laser, we nicely inhibit the fluorescence emission of the of the fluor force. And if we switch off the, the statin laser again, everything is back to 100%. Now, if we now tune this stat laser in such a way that it's only active when it's focused, it's only active in the periphery, as you see in the red ring, this donut-shaped intensity shape, then we inhibit fluorescence specifically only in the outer part. And now this inhibition process is also can be driven into saturation. So if we crank up the power of the stat laser, the area in which spontaneous fluorescence is allowed is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And this is a very important um, characteristic of this so-called super-resolution stat microscope, that we can tune the diameter of our observation spot with the intensity of this added stat laser. And this helps us a lot in our FCS measurements of the lipids, because we can do stat FCS measurements. What we do is, we record FCS data for different intensities of our stat laser. So for different sizes of our observation spot. Then we calculate the apparent diffusion coefficient for each of these measurements, which is just the area divided by the transit time. And for large diffusion coefficients, we have fast diffusion, small diffusion coefficients, we have slow diffusion. <clears throat> and then we plot the dependency of the apparent diffusion coefficient on the diameter of our observation spot. And this varies for different diffusion modes. This is shown here. This is just simulations. This is what we expect from theory. Now, what we see here is on the x-axis observation spot diameter, on the y-axis apparent diffusion coefficient. If we have just free diffusion, 
it's a straight line. The diffusion coefficient is the same no matter at which spatial scale we probe the diffusion because it's free Brownian diffusion. If we have something like trapping diffusion, so the molecules move, interact with something, stay there for a while, then move on, are trapped again, stay there for a while, we expect something like the red line. So the smaller we make the observation spot diameter, apparently the more slowed down is the diffusion. Well, this is because the smaller we make the observation spot, the more the transit is ruled by the trapping interaction. And that's why we see a decrease in the apparent diffusion coefficient. Now, what do we see for our PE and SM lipids? These are live cell recordings on here, PTK2 cells. And what you see up there, diffusion, apparent diffusion coefficient, observation spot diameter. For the phospholipid, we see a straight line, so close to free diffusion. And for the sphingolipid, this SM, we see really a continuous decrease towards small observation spot diameter. So clearly, we have a trapping interaction. And if we analyze this data further, we can, uh, we can see that we have a complex on the molecular scale, a transient complex, probably between the lipids and the protein, the lipid shell. Um, it roughly takes 10 milliseconds and no movement during trapping. So if we would see movement, we would expect a kink at low observation diameters, but we don't see this. And it's lipid specific. The moment we change something on the lipids, the trapping characteristic changes. But, of course, we put a big label on there. We checked also a lot of different labels at the head group, at the tail, and so on. And we didn't see any dependence on the label. So it's really a lipid specific thing. And it's cholesterol assisted and acting dependent. So if we treat the cells with drugs that deplete the cholesterol level or depolymerize the actin, what we see is, and this is shown in the lower left corner, is that the trapping is gone and also the SM is freely diffusing. So what's the spatial dependence? So far, we just probe the FCS at certain points. We average over different measurements. So we don't have a spatial and a temporal resolution. Now, spatial resol resolved FCS can be done following work by Bratong and co-workers. So what we can do is we scan a line a few micrometers long very quickly with kilohertz um, and line frequency over the, the, the plasma membrane. and when we do this and we, we scan this line multiple times, what we get for each pixel along this line is a fluctuating time signal, uh, intensity signal over time. And we can correlate this as well. And then we get an FCS curve for each pixel along this line. And this is shown here. We can, uh, we can present it in a, in a two-dimensional form. So for each pixel along space, we see a mobility. And this mobility is a decaying curve from red to blue. And what we expect now is look at the yellowish area because that's roughly the transit time. If we see a peak into, into longer times, that's where we have areas slow down diffusion. Now, let's see what we see for our lipids. And so this is the, the phospholipid and the SM. These are confocal recordings, roughly 250 nanometer spot size. For the PE as well as for the SM, we see some heterogeneity. These are 10 second recordings, but they are not very distinct. If we go to an 80 nanometer spot size, stat recordings, for the PE, we see, of course, uh, faster transit times, um, but it's pretty homogeneous, so we have free diffusion. But for the sphingolipid, we see these peaks showing up. Yeah? We have smaller than 80 nanometer spots of slowed down diffusion here. And in between, the diffusion is as fast as for the phospholipid. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Listen In from Bite Size Bio. 
To access the visuals of this webinar, please see the episode description for a link to the full presentation. Now, if we record these line scans every other 10 seconds and we look at the mobility maps, what we see is that the positions as well as the number of these trapping spots or slowed down diffusion spots change over time. So they are transient. Yeah? So these transient spots, they are sites of slowed down diffusion and they are only visible instead. Are these the trapping sites that are pointed out before? Well, the problem is that we can only find this out by comparing the apparent diffusion coefficient for this for small observation spot diameter and for large observation spot diameters. So we, at the moment, we do subsequent recordings. So the set recordings and the confocal recordings, so the recordings with small observation spots and with large observation spots are done subsequently, not at the same time. And since we know that these, trap, these hot spots are transient, we cannot really say what is happening in these hotspots. Now, what we need to do is we need to simultaneously record for two different observation spot sizes. For example, for stat recordings around 50 nanometers and for confocal recordings around 240 nanometers. Now, how can we do this? How can we do these line scans simultaneously for these two spot sizes? What we can do is we can, if we would have this, we would could calculate a ratio between the diffusion coefficient obtained for stat recordings and for confocal recordings. If there's one, we have free diffusion, and if there's smaller than one, we have trapping. Now, how can we record these at the same time? Well, we can do an alternating line scan. One line confocal, one line with stat, one line confocal, one line with stat. And then we can sort these every other line and we would get mobility maps of uh, um, time fluctuations for confocal and stat recordings. And out of that, we can calculate FCS, carpets or mobility maps for both recordings. So we have stat and confocal data recorded quasi simultaneously. And then we can determine the apparent diffusion coefficient and for set and confocal recordings at the same time for each pixel and calculate this DRAT, so the ratio of these two apparent diffusion coefficients. And we will get the diffusion mode for each pixel. And this is what we've done. These are quasi simultaneously recorded mobility maps, confocal and set. And if we just look, this is the set uh, mobility map, and we look for each pixel on this DRAT value, we see that these hotspots coincide very well with DRAT values of much smaller than one, while in between we have values close to one. And for PE, as shown here, we have a DRAT value of one all over the place. So clearly, what is the picture? We probably have a protein-lipid interaction and formation and coalescence into transient hotspots. A protein is not alone, it's interacting with the actin cytoskeleton, maybe this immobilizes it, and then it interacts with the surrounding lipid environment involving, for example, cholesterol. And maybe some of these protein coalesce into a hotspot, bringing together more molecules. And these are sites of strong hindrances, smaller than 80 nanometers in size, few seconds lifetime, constant exchange of lipids, and some of these lipids just diffuse through and some interact, like the slingolipid. They stay there for, for approximately 10 milliseconds. It's cholesterol-assisted, it's actin-dependent, and we specifically see this for slingolipids. Now, what could be the purpose? Well, bring together molecules and let them interact, especially less abundant molecules, and thereby trigger cellular signaling. And that's what we are doing at the moment. Now, 
they still have such recordings. They can, can nicely be recorded on any stat microscope, but the, uh, the, the current Falcon system of Leica has some advantages. Now, this Falcon system allows to use very high detector count rates. Therefore, we can use pretty high concentration of our fluorescent uh, molecules. And this gives us very high signal-to-noise level and very short measurement levels. Now, usually, using conventional detectors or conventional electronics, at some point, you, you drive into saturation. You have too high count rates and you get some kind of bias. Now, what we did is we looked at FCS data, count rate, average transit time, amplitudes, and fitting quality for fluorescent dyes at different excitation intensities, these are the lower panels, and at different concentrations, up to one micrometer. And what you see, for example, on the upper left is we can increase the concentration and we see a nice linear increase in the count rate. And also, the next one right to it, the count rate goes up and the average transit time stays roughly the same. And this is pretty good. So you can use very high count rates, high dye concentration, or high excitation powers with high signature noise levels, and therefore you can use short measurement times. Also, Falcon has a very nice fast online gating algorithm. So you can online do some analysis already. And this allows us, because you can bring in fluorescence lifetime information, you can distinguish species with different fluorescence lifetime. We've done this, for example. We have done set FCS measurements of two dyes in solution. Up to 655 with a lifetime of 1.8 nanoseconds and Aperio star red with a lifetime of 4.0 nanoseconds. And we can generate nice state FCS data with, uh, separately for these two dyes because we can distinguish them based on the electronics and the different lifetimes, all within Falcon. As shown below, yellow is of the short lifetime, so for Atos 655, and green is of the long lifetime, Aperio star red. Also, the fast online gating, we can gate away scattered signal from the stat laser. Sometimes this is a problem, especially if we go to higher stat powers. This damps our signal, but the scattering from the stat laser has a very short response time, so we can gate it away from the fluorescent signal, which has a longer response time. And this is shown here. This is stat FCS recording of a barrier star red-labeled phospholipid in a membrane with and without gating of the stat laser scatter. And what you see is that the transit time approaches more the real value as shown in the triangles, because it goes down to lower values, while without the gating, the scattering signal damps our signal, fires our signal, and we get two large transit times. So this is good as well. And with the fast online gating, we can also optimize, because often in cells, we have background signals from inside the um, um, Cell. For example, we, sometimes we work with different labels, and some of these labels sit in the cytosol and they give us background. But if we use now two different labels, one in the cytosol, the one in the cytosol, for example, has a different lifetime than the one sitting on the membrane. For example, here, up to 655, a 1.8 nanosecond lifetime, a barrier star red labeled PE in the membrane, four nanoseconds, we can distinguish them. And we can do a distinguished analysis of only the phospholipid diffusion, like shown here. In green, we nicely see above the membrane up to 655, and below in red is the signal from the, from the lipids. We now can gate away um, the 1.8 nanosecond lifetime, and we can do very distinguished analysis of the PE diffusion. This brings me to the end. 
I have to thank a, a very big thank to, to my team, also back then to the time um, in Stefan Health's lab, because that's where all the lipid diffusion measurements started, especially Alf Honigmann, who did a lot of measurements there. I have to thank um, organic chemists, especially Vladimir Velov and Günther Schwarzmann, who helped us a lot with a lot of lipid analogs. I have to thank my team in Oxford, because it's a mixture of a lot of different people from physics, biology, immunology, especially on the membrane stuff. There's Erdin Schleskin, Falk Schneider, and Istok Robancic. We have a fantastic imaging center with Christopher Lagerholm as the manager and Dominic Waith, the image analyst. He helped us a lot with the analysis. And I have to thank funding from the Wolfs Foundation, the MRC, the Wellcome Trust. And in Oxford, we work very closely together with all different microscopists, and we're starting to do this also in Jena. And this combined um, efforts, they bring along all these improvements. Thank you for your attention. Thanks, Christian. That was an excellent presentation. We have a few questions from the audience. If anyone else has a question, please feel free to post it in the questions box that appears on the right of your screen. So the first question that we have is, you were using a lot of laser light in this dead FCS recordings. Is there any harmful effects on the cells? That is a very, very good question, and of course, but this, uh, this is, is a problem, and it has, can be a problem with any laser illumination. So this is not specific to STEP, it can be, is a problem of any laser-based microscopy technique. And um, that's why we have to use the laser light with a lot of uh, care, and we have to introduce a lot of controls, and that's what we did. We controlled a lot of things, we looked at the cells, and we didn't see any sign of, of photo bleaching or harm or whatever on the cells. And that's why we are certain that, that uh, for our measurements, we don't have any bias. Okay. And that makes perfect sense to me. And then we have a question from Keyes, and he says that fluorescence lifetime is very much dependent on the molecular environment, like local, like local polarity and so on. Do you see lifetime differences in the mobile spots? So far, what we have done, not. But of course, he is completely right. Um, we have, it is, that's that's one of the strengths of, of uh, the fluorescent lifetime, that you have changes in in the fluorescent lifetime, depending on the environment. Mm -hmm. And we sometimes can use this information to find even out more information of what is going on. Well, that's neat. And then we have a question about, um, how difficult it is it says how difficult is it to implement those scanning stead fcs recordings on a commercial stead system like lipas it is not a problem at all um, we have used it on on, on commercial systems um, available and it very well good works with it because you can use the existing hardware and record these images immediately and we have um, created um, um, software for analysis we have published that uh, dominic from mm -hmm. our lab has done this dominic wait and and if you have questions we, we can share this this is an open access software so it's easy straightforward oh fantastic and we have a question from ria she said that you said you do fast online gating do you also do um online lifetime fitting to determine the lifetime so far not, but you have, of course, you have the opportunity to do this, um, but we haven't done this yet. Okay. Um, we have a question from Heritus, and so they ask, does the higher power used increase the triplet component contribution, and does that affect the analysis? Well, we, that's a very good question as well, and we have really looked at the 
the, the, the FCS data, because the FCS data also gives us um, hints on how much dark states, triplet states we have and so on. And we have looked, and we are using actually a pretty low excitation power to avoid okay. excessive triplets uh, um, 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 build up because that of course can create photo bleaching and unwanted effects. And, right. and we are really looking for that. And then we have a follow-up from Keys. Um, he says, I know you have been critical on the potential existence of lipid rafts. Did your new experiments change that in, in any way? And did you discover them after all? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm um, the raft theory is, is, is a great theory because it, it tells us that the lipids um, are important and change the environment in such a way that they bring molecules together or uh, exclude molecules. And our data clearly shows that the lipid are doing something. And the most important part is whether you call it raft or something else, because there's so much heterogeneity in what happens in the in the in the in the in the membrane. Whether you look at sphingolipids like we do, or whether you look at GPI anchored proteins or on gangliosides, we see similar things, but with tiny little differences for all these different molecules. And that's why, let's call it what it really is. It's an interaction of the lipids. And what mm -hmm. we have to find out now is whether this interaction really matter? Do they matter in cellular signaling? That's what we want to find out. Cool. Um, and then, oh, we have another follow-up from Keys. In normal film, you can, or sorry, normal film, you can increase count rate even further by pooling detectors. Can you do that too with FCS? Um, usually not, because you at some point you, you, you run into problems like saturation and so on, and then your amplitude also, because the amplitude is inversely co uh, uh, proportional to the number of molecules in the in the um, in the in the volume, and if you increase the count rate more and more and more, for example, by increasing the concentration, the amplitude drops. But mm -hmm. of course, if you have um, electronics and detectors that don't saturate, you could, in principle, increase the excitation power to a to a maximum where we re you receive as much count rate as possible. But the problem, of course, is if you increase the excitation intensity too much, you run into photo bleaching effects as well. And that's why we always look out that we are not running into photo bleaching effects. They are clear uh, um, 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 controls for that. Yes, I'm nodding my head along with you because I know that that has been, um, when I was in doing my postdoc, that was the bane of some of my friends' existence with photo bleaching. Exactly. You have to do a lot of controls and we do these controls. For example, you can record mm -hmm. the average transit time against the excitation power. And at some point, okay. the average transit time goes down. Why that? Because the molecule photo bleaches before it transits out of the observation spot. And you don't want to get there because then you get bias. That's why we always place our excitation spot somewhere where we don't have this effect. That makes sense. And we have another question. What is the most important advantage of the new Falcon system for the STED FCS recordings? I think the the um, this this nice uh, um, the, the, the the new hardware that is it's very quick and you can nicely um, online create FCS data and you can combine it with um, with lifetime data. Like I like I said, you can you can um, do quick lifetime gating and so on. I think that's the most important part. But we still have to play around with it. I mean, we just did our mm -hmm. first measurements with it and, and it's a good system. Oh, that's cool. It's always fun starting something new. 
Well, it looks like that was the last question that we have. So that brings us to the end of the seminar. So thank you again, Christian, for a very illuminating um, presentation and a great discussion. And thanks also thank to you. our sponsor, Leica Microsystems. And finally, thanks to you, the audience, for taking the time to attend and listen in. If you've enjoyed the seminar and would like to view the video recording of the session, please visit the webinars page on bitesizebio.com. It should be available within the next 24 hours. There, you can see the other webinars we have lined up for you on Bio. So until next time, good luck in your research and goodbye from all of us at Leica Microsystems and Bitesize Bio. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the webinar. To view the full video version of this and all of our other webinars, please visit bitesizebio.com slash webinars. Finding the right mentor can make all the difference in your research journey. But what if you don't have one? Look no further than Mentors at Your Benchside, the podcast that offers curated advice from experienced researchers on lab skills, techniques, and career progression. With short, easy-to-access episodes, you can get the help you need to succeed in the lab. Visit bitesizebio.com forward slash podcasts or search for Mentors at Your Benchside in your podcast app to subscribe and get help and advice from seasoned scientists.